This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. In our lives, we are often confronted with issues of who to trust. At the same time, do you consider yourself trustworthy? Trusting and being trustworthy are very different traits. One is an expression of vulnerability, while the other is a portion of responsibility and fulfilling expectations. It's an area of research that really hasn't been tapped into much in the past. More research has been done around, are you a trusting person? A new study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology looks at the traits of being trustworthy. Maurice Schweitzer is uh, behind this research. He is a professor of operations, information, and decisions here at the Wharton School. Great seeing you again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Thank you. I I guess let's start with a distinction of between being trusting and being trustworthy and why that's important to understand that in the first place. Yeah, that's a great place to start. Most of the research, as you pointed out, has been looking at how people trust others. So who's a trusting person, who's less trusting. And people link this to a number of organizational behaviors as well as to the economy more broadly. So when you have a trusting society, everything works more smoothly. So when I can trust you, I know that I don't have to monitor you as closely. We don't have to sign as complete contracts. We can basically facilitate transactions and it it's it's like this lubricant that allows us to function much more efficiently and smoothly. So at the organizational level, at the economy-wide level, mm-hmm. trust is this incredibly important ingredient. And yet, surprisingly, little work has looked at trustworthiness. That is, are we, impl- are we trusting the right people? And what makes people more or less trustworthy? And some of the components that may present themselves either to the positive or negative of that, correct? That's right. So so we could be making mistakes. So so there's all this work about what makes people more or less trusting, but but the way we place our trust could be quite bad. In fact, people who are very trusting are are more likely to fall for scams. And yeah. you know, those are people that are exploiting the trust of others. So I mean, I, th- I think I, s- I see this as really sort of this duality that is Um, Trust and deception are really two sides of the same coin. Right. I I can only be duped by you if I'm a trusting person. And on the other side, I need to be trusting for us to get things done. So to a degree, uh, trustworthiness is, it seems like, is a little more introspective. It, it's understanding what you are, who you, uh, who you present to be, or what you present in terms of your, your value in society, correct? That's right. I mean, so we're making these judgments all the time about who do we trust. And, and if you sort of think about it, we've made this transformation where there are many cues in our environment that have changed. So we used to be brought up to say, look, don't get into a stranger's car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now, you know, when an Uber pulls up, that's true. You know, yes. we just hop right in. That's right, yeah. Uh, or, you know, don't, don't let strangers <laughs> into your house. And well, with Airbnb, uh, yeah, strangers are renting my house out all the time. We, we've, we've changed the game a bit, and, and in part, we have rating systems, reputations that are now helping us make these trust decisions. But fundamentally, at a psychological level, um, what we're looking at is, you know, are we making these decisions in the right way, and who really is trustworthy? So how do you go about 
in terms of the research? How do you go about getting a better handle on the difference between the two and the importance of trustworthiness? Well, what we did is um, we tapped into uh, a personality trait that hasn't received as much attention as, say, the big five personality traits. The, the personality trait we tapped into is something called guilt proneness. So how prone someone is to feeling guilty. Right. So imagine I ask you a question like, uh, imagine you're out at a party, you have a glass of red wine, uh, you spill some red wine onto a white carpet. Yeah. How would you feel? And the people who would feel extremely guilty about that yeah. are the people who are prone to feeling guilt. Now, what's interesting is that people who are prone to feeling guilt, they don't actually experience a lot more guilt because they spend a lot of effort trying to avoid putting themselves in that position. Sure. Those are the people who would say, oh, no, no, if I'm, if I, if I'm going to be drinking wine over a white carpet, uh, I'm going to be having white wine. Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, those are the people that are sort of thinking ahead to make sure they're not missing deadlines, they're not falling short of your expectations, they're going to take, they're actually going to work extra hard or they'll take other precautions. Um, those are the guilt-prone people. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out those people are pretty reliable. And when it comes to being trustworthy, those are the people we should be trusting. And so to a degree, I would think playing off the example, it's also, you know, if there's the potential problem there, it's also when the problem problem actually occurs of owning up to it, of, of accepting the responsibility as well. That's right. And, you know, guilt in the in the academic literature, people have disentangled guilt from shame, where people have thought of shame as this self-directed inward feeling where I feel shame, I'm a bad person, whereas guilt is oh, I've got to attack this problem to make things right. Yeah. It's much more outward. I'm trying to repair some relationship or somehow where I've fallen short. And, and what our research shows is that, you know, if you're trying to figure out who should, you know, who should be minding the accounts, who should be at the cash register, um, it's the guilt-prone person. And we tend not to be very good in general at discerning in whom we should place our trust. Right. Uh, we often uh, rely on kind of superficial cues, so how baby-faced somebody looks or if they're older— uh, we, we we might trust them based upon some physical appearance cues, and and a lot of the personality cues that we might rely on aren't so helpful, but guilt proneness turns out to be pretty useful. But is is it also something that where we really probably don't think about those issues a ton on a day to day basis? So to a degree, it's having it seems like tell me if I'm wrong, having a better understanding and maybe. To a, to a degree, at times, changing our thinking on some of these issues, correct? Yeah, that's our that's our point. That is, I think, to sort of think differently about it. That is, rather than trying to figure out directly if somebody's trustworthy or not, that's pretty hard. But we can more easily assess whether or not somebody's guilt prone. Eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Joined by Maurice Schweitzer of the Wharton School, Professor of Operations, Information and Decisions. We're talking about the uh, reporting that he is involved in on uh, being trustworthy, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You know, when you think about 
culture and society and maybe even more specifically business, this ends up becoming incredibly important areas to focus on because of, and just thinking of business for a second, how operations succeed or fail on a daily basis. The, the 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 types of projects you put in the hands of certain people or not th- this has a wide range of an effect that it could have on a variety of levels of business correct yeah i think that's right i mean i, th- I think what we fail to appreciate is how how fundamental trust is to almost everything that we do and within an organization with trust we don't have to expend a lot of effort on monitoring people we don't have to track them uh, we can direct our focus somewhere else. Right. And without trust, we've got to closely monitor everything. We've got to make sure we're measuring everything that we care about. And it, it, it can almost bring us to a standstill. And so, and so trust really emerges as one of these fundamental building blocks for an effective organization. And we can think about things like building a sense of identity. So right. we all think of ourselves as, you know, one Wharton family or one, uh, you know, concerted, you know, we're, we're one sort of Nike organization. Somehow, like if we're working together, we're going to trust each other to advance the best interest of the group, which is often not exactly the best interest of the individual. Right. Where, you know, for me personally, it might be easier to cut some corners or to fudge some numbers or do something that's easier for me, but not good for the group. But can, can that guilt proneness be a trait that can be a learned trait or can be adapted later in your life? Or is it pretty much what you have inside of you that is that is what you are going to deal with? That's an interesting question. Uh, the way we looked at it was something that people, it's just something somehow more innate. Right. So we weren't looking right. at something that we might be able to manipulate or to change. Right. I think how guilt-prone somebody is is, uh, you know, baked in earlier on, and it's how we're brought up. And I think from yeah. a young age— we we sort of you know have our our sort of you know meter set somewhere, um, and and it's something that people are, are pretty cognizant of. There's, I'm, I'm sure if you were to ask people, um, you know how much how much do you worry about feeling guilty if you're let other people down or yeah. if if something bad happened that was your responsibility, um, you'd find really wide variation, and we can certainly introspect on this, um, and you know is it good or bad to be guilt prone? Well, it's sometimes good, sometimes bad, but we do know that those guilt-prone people tend to be really conscientious in ways that then fulfill people's trust. It's interesting, not that this is specifically tied to your research, but thinking off of some of the other things that we've discussed on on this show in the past, is that we have seen companies make a concerted effort within their operations uh, more so in the last few years to want to have teams working together on projects and not necessarily the individual. And, and I'm wondering if there's, and you know, there's to, to a degree an unconscious impact from this build out more so of teams of wanting to have groups together so that you have a, as a group, maybe a more trustworthy group of people instead of individuals working on projects. Well, I think that's interesting. And and certainly, like, as a team, um, and we know this, for example, uh, in, in studies of the military, when when you ask soldiers, for, you know, why they do things, why they engage in some heroic efforts, it's not typically because of this broad, sort of uh, difficult-to-identify mission. 
it's because of their buddies. It's because of their team. It's because of their platoon. Yeah. You know, these are my buddies, and I do anything for my buddies. Yeah. And I think the same thing is broadly true about the idea of sort of assembling people into teams. Once you work on a team, I could say, look, Dan, I don't want to let you down. Sure, yeah. I don't want you to suffer because I fell short somehow. And and so there's a, a greater sense of responsibility, community, identity in that small team. And there's also the element of, uh, of if you have somebody that is incredibly trustworthy or several people that are incredibly trustworthy, the impact they can have playing off of just something you said uh, on other people. And it's almost, to a degree, it feels like it's a spider web of having one circle of, of trustworthiness and being able to spread it out to a variety of other people as well. Because people will be willing to do more for you because they know you're somebody that they can count on. I think that's right. I mean, so so it does have this cascading effect. And, and, and there's, a, there's another important uh, point related to our research, which is when people know that you're relying on them because you have high expectations about their trustworthiness, that's important, and that drives people to be more trustworthy. If I, if I rely on you and you think I'm just doing it because I'm naive or sloppy uh, or clueless, you might be apt to try to teach me a lesson to say, hey, uh, you're just naive and stupid, and you shouldn't be in this market or shouldn't be rewarded for that. But when I'm doing it because I trust you and have high expectations about what you're going to do. Yeah. And a small team can help facilitate that, and the language we use can facilitate that. You're far more likely to be trustworthy. How, how then, how do you think this type of research and, and better understanding being trustworthy, uh, how do you think that can have a cultural impact, potentially, on us right now? Which, obviously, I think there's a lot of questions about whether or not certain people are, are trustworthy right now. Yeah, well... <laughs> Our work didn't tackle that question directly, but I'll sort of you know step off the ledge and and speculate. Uh, I think I think we think about a broader culture. There's, you know what are the cultural norms? And uh, you know there's an expression: the fish stinks from the head. Yeah, we need the head of the organization or the head of any broader community to to set norms and expectations about what kinds of behaviors are acceptable and what kind of behaviors are not. And uh, and when it comes to things like being trustworthy, those norms get set and people are looking for benchmarks about what's reasonable and what's appropriate behavior. And I think, I think it's sort of mindful for everyone leading an organization to be really careful about, about the way they're both speaking and the way they're both be- behaving and what that matches. Mm-hmm. Um, the technical term is behavioral integrity when you think about that, that match between words and actions. Uh, and so to what extent, you know, when, when a CEO says it's important for us to, you know, cut, you know, cut our budget or to be very mindful of our costs, and then they jet off in their private planes, it sends a mixed message of being hypocritical. And, yeah. and, and people hate hypocrites. Maurice Schweitzer is a professor of operations, information, and decisions here at the Wharton School. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. The other part to this, we mentioned the business side. Uh, Let's talk about it from the personal side for a second. When you think about the relationships that you want to have, 
being trustworthy obviously is a huge component uh, of having that that special relationship with somebody in your life. That's right. I, I think it's, it's it's part of any intimate relationship. It's and it's part of any close relationship. That is, if if people believe they can rely on you, that they can share information with you that makes them vulnerable, that they can rely on you for favors, uh, that if they can trust you, yeah. You can build a much stronger relationship as opposed to be able to say, look, you know, I really can't trust you with information. I can't trust you with responsibilities. Uh, and you can't form a close relationship with somebody like that. And it really sort of stunts our relational growth. And and those people aren't going to be willing to reciprocate. So they're not going to be the people that are going to help you out later on if they feel like they can't trust you. So so being trustworthy turns out to be extremely important, yeah, both at the personal level and certainly at the organizational level. What is the expectation then of, of – is there an expectation, I guess I should say, of building off of this research to take it you know, beyond – because you're talking about uh, a topic that, as we have laid out, has a variety of different areas that we could go to, and business, personal. There, there are so many areas where this has some sort of implication to it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's – I see this as the kernel of – of groups and organizations, and it's 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 been a research focus of mine for several years, and I remain captivated by it. And so, like like what what is it that makes us more or less trusting, more or less trustworthy? How do how does that impact the functioning of groups? And you know, what I keep coming back to is that this is this is fundamental. This this really guides the, the success and failure of groups. But do you think there's enough of a recognition of that, let's just say, by businesses in general? Or in, in the military, obviously, I, there there is a level of that. But in businesses, is there a better understanding of that when you think of hiring decisions in HR or, as you laid out, corporate decisions? You know, we got to cut the budget, but let's take a trip to the Bahamas in our corporate jet. Do companies, do you think, have that recognition? You know, I... I think some do. I think I think some organizations really fundamentally get it, and I think many organizations uh, are characterized by leadership that's focused on a much shorter term perspective. And I think uh, you know we're thinking about the VW emission cheating scandal. Yeah, uh, sort of fundamentally breaking that trust uh, in a way that was intentional and malicious. Um, and exploitive, or or Wells Fargo, um, yeah, yeah. you know, opening up fake accounts. That 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 here, when we think about a relationship with an organization, um, we have to trust these organizations. We we trust organizations with our data. So if it's Facebook or somebody else, we're we're, we're entrusting these organizations. And and when our trust gets exploited, there's a really long term effect. Where we've we've severed that relationship, it's it's been we're we're less likely to trust, and we're going to put up barriers that that really impede the sort of you know broader relationship, and then the sort of the economic activity that follows. And some people might say that maybe we've even gone even further in this realm now because of the digital culture that we're in and social media, as you just kind of laid out, with some of the commentary we end up seeing by people at times on things like Facebook and Twitter. That because some of the, the the vocabulary is is much stronger than maybe what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, that maybe it's it's even more challenging now 
to be able to be somebody that is seen as trustworthy? Yeah, I think you know sometimes we have to overcome that. That is, people start off by thinking, you know, I, th- I think um, as representatives of organizations, I think organizations can create enormous good, and yet sometimes uh, large organizations are portrayed as villains in uh, you know uh, movies and TV shows, and in that people are afraid of exactly what VW did. That is, that, yeah. that, that somehow people. You know that organizations are going to make some strategic decision to, uh, you know, wreck the environment in some way to sort of circumvent government re- regulators and uh, and take some shortcut that advances their profit at the expense of the sort of broader good. And and I think it's it's sort of you know super important for all of us to think about that responsibility and to make sure we're following through on on these relationships as we have responsibilities to maintain both the reputations and and this broader relationship that that is based on trust. I, I would think that, that this is the case, and see if you agree with it, that when you think about the corporate world where trustworthiness, when you think of some of the examples you just gave, Wells Fargo, VW, and then obviously a lot of the things that occurred around the recession and the, the, the banking uh, crisis that right. we had in this country, that it, it, it's incredibly important for those people in the C-suite to be trustworthy because they are the ones that are leading companies and setting the path for not only where the company is going to go, but where their employees are going to go and where their stockholders are going to go as well. That's right. And, and, and it's, it's, it's really this, this bi-directional relationship. That is, if I don't trust you, uh, and we we're talking about, uh, you know, sort of intimate relationships before, but it's also employees with their sort of C-suite executives. If, if employees don't trust the executives, they don't want to stick around. They're going to be developing other plans, and they're looking for the door. And if they're spending half the time looking for something else to do uh, or they're sort of hedging their bets, they're not going to be fully committed to that organization. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, the sort of, the sort of customers and other organizations, the, the, the reliability and the trustworthiness that we project is going to have these long-term repercussions. And... You know, we talked talk about reputations. That is the reason why Uber works is we trust the reputation system. Right. The reason why Airbnb works is we trust that reputation system. When when reputations get wrecked, if we couldn't trust the Uber system, right, the whole thing breaks down. But there there are instances where you know you have that expectation of trustworthiness, it is broken, and yet seemingly six months down the line, 12 months down the line, it's almost like it's forgotten. You know, at, at times there's, if you break that trust, a company can almost kind of wipe it under the rug at times. Well, I think what's interesting, and and actually a lot of my research looked at trust recovery. Often trust recovery, be, you know, so you can recover trust. So it's not yeah. that, you know, like like glass, it can just sort of never be put back together. You can put it back together, but it's it's more fragile. Okay, and so you can work at it. And there's some things that companies have done to repair that trust in a very effective way. When they really they sort of promise a change, they enact on those changes, and again, they're sort of their, their words match their deeds, and you believe that this has become a new and different organization. People can restore trust in people and organizations, um, but. But often that trust is more fragile and more sensitive to missteps. And, and for some people, they, 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 they really do sever that relationship 
and move somewhere else. Yeah. So, so I think uh, you know, tr- trust recovery itself is, I think, quite an interesting um, topic. But, but it is something that 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 can sometimes never fully recover, particularly when it's accompanied by deception. I think yeah. that's where VW's missteps were. I think particularly serious. Great seeing you again. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Marie Schweitzer from here at the Wharton School, Professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.